Well, good morning, Journey. We are continuing our series of messages through John 14 through 17, which give us an intimate portrait of Jesus. Because if we want to follow Jesus, we need to know his heart, what he looks like, and his heart for us. So today, if you have your Bible with you or your app, open up to John 16, and we'll be looking at a few verses there. You know, there have been times in my own Christian life where I've thought, you know, it would be a whole lot easier to follow Jesus if I was just right there with him. You know, you know what I mean? Back in A.D. 31, 32, something like that, boots on the ground with Jesus or sandals on the ground, walking with Jesus along the roads right with him. So, so my, my thinking goes that faith in Jesus would be simpler if I could just follow Jesus around each day, just like the disciples did. You know, wouldn't it be easier if he was right there in front of us? If we could just hear his words and see what he's doing? You know, wouldn't it be easier if we witnessed, for example, the feeding of the 5,000? And then we were with the disciples as we went around and picked up 12 baskets of leftovers and just saw the miracle unfold before our very eyes. Wouldn't it be easier if we were the ones in the boat, if we were there with the other disciples in the boat and saw Jesus walking towards us on the water? And I think to myself, man, if I saw that, I, I would believe. Or wouldn't it be cool if we were on the mountain along with Peter and James and, and we saw Jesus change and transfigured before us? And we ourselves witness him talking to a Moses and Elijah. You know, what? wouldn't it have been cool to be there at the Last Supper? If we were, I think, you know, I, I say to myself, yeah, I would believe if I was at the Last Supper and, and Jesus actually took the bread and gave it to me and I, I felt it and smelled it and he put it in my hand and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And I think it'd be so much easier to believe and follow Jesus if it was my feet that he washed that same night in the upper room. Wouldn't that be great if we could just have been there? Wouldn't our faith be simpler? Wouldn't that be good? But that's not what Jesus says. As we look at our text today in John 16, we see something different. We pick up in verse 7 of John 16, and here's what Jesus says. He says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. And I read that and I think, wait, what, what, why, why is it better that you leave and that you're no longer with the disciples? Well, then he continues and says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is telling us that this advocate, or sometimes it's translated as helper or comforter, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. He says this Holy Spirit is a gift that's not triggered until my departure. So what does this advocate, this helper, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Well, let's continue on and read, picking up in verse 8. It says, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. 
about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Well, Journey, the Holy Spirit helps us as believers by being Christ's presence in our lives. He helps us by being in us. So no longer do we have to think like, well, if I was just there walking with Jesus, faith would be simpler. But no, Jesus says now his spirit is within us. And by his presence, by the Holy Spirit being, being among us and in us, he does a couple of things for us today that I want to point out from John chapter 16. The first is this, that the Holy Spirit convicts and moves us. You know, he says that the Holy Spirit will prove the world to be wrong, to be in the wrong. Other versions, other translations of the Bible say, use the word convict. Well, it's, it, the idea there is that it's a legal term. You know, the idea is to, the idea of cross-examining for the purpose of convincing or refuting an opponent. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to light and to expose things in regard to sin. You know, when I read that verse, I picture a courtroom TV drama, you know, and, and, and the lawyer is unfolding the case against the defendant, and, the, and it comes to the point that every TV courtroom drama has where the prosecutor concludes his arguments and he says those words, I rest my case. And then he closes his notes and sits down, and the jury goes off and deliberate, and they come back guilty, convicted on all accounts. Now, that's the idea here in that verse of conviction. You know, it's, it's interesting to note that previously, as we've been going through uh, these, these chapters in John, as Jesus is talking about his departure, it's all, when he, and he refers to the Holy Spirit, it's always kind of in the defensive mode, in the sense that the Spirit is going to bring comfort, the Spirit is going to bring peace, and yes, He does all of that. But now in this verse 8, we see a switch. It goes from passive to, to offensive. He says, now the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world. The Holy Spirit is going to sh shed some light on some big things in our world and in our own lives. He's going to convict. And he's, not just going to he's not just there to point out the errors of others, but he does so within our lives as well. So as we look at these verses, it's not just a finger-pointing thing that the Holy Spirit does, saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, but it also gives us uh, pause for our own life to examine our own heart and where we stand. So he tells us that, he, that it's going to bring some light and bring a correct perception, first of all, about sin. You know, what, what we think about sin is sometimes, you know, not biblical, it's not correct. So the Holy Spirit is going to shed some light on what that really is. And he says he's going to bring conviction about sin because people do not believe in me. You know, we've got to realize that when the Holy Spirit does this kind of work in our life, when he convicts us about sin, it's for a purpose. And that purpose is not shame, it's not guilt. His intent is repentance. He wants us to bring us to a point of repentance to restore that relationship with the Heavenly Father. 
And the Spirit working in our lives sometimes prods us, sometimes nudges us, sometimes encourages us, and we realize that, yeah, what I've been doing is not right. It's not biblical in God's eyes. So the Spirit works in us to bring us closer back to where God wants us to be. You know, I think about a great biblical example is in Acts chapter 2. That There we we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit um, among those who believe. And I'll try to summarize it here this morning. Um, It's it's the day of Pentecost, and the the promised Holy Spirit shows up, and, and he just pours into the life of the disciples, and it tells us that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Well, this occurrence has people flabbergasted, and the crowd thinks that that they're drunk. So there's this accusations that they've been drinking. And then Peter stands up and preaches the first recorded uh, New Testament sermon. And as he goes, he begins to unfold kind of the history of what God has done through the Savior and through the Messiah. And his conclusion to his sermon, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then I love what happens next. It says, when the people heard this, when they heard his sermon, when they, when he, when they heard his conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, they were cut to the heart. And they asked, you know, brothers, what shall we do? That's a great example of the Spirit working in someone's life. And their response was that they repented. They they turned from their sin and towards God because of the Spirit working in their life, that convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And so often the Spirit works in us to convict us of unbelief. And that convicting work, like I said, is not there just to pour shame and guilt and all that upon us, but it's really about God's grace. It's a reflection of God working in our life and His desire to turn away from, you know, our sinful ways and towards Him. That's what repentance really is about. And the whole idea of like, I didn't know, I didn't know, that's not going to cut it with God. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to that. It's like the story I read um, about the, back in the Wild West days in Texas along, along the border country. This was in the late 1800s, and the, you know, the cowboys and westerns and all that. There was this notorious bank robber, robber that worked that Texas border country. His name was Rodriguez. And he was so effective at robbing banks that the uh, Texas Rangers created a special task force just to find Rodriguez, arrest him, and bring him to justice. So this uh, special task force was tracking Rodriguez, and uh, one day they actually saw him cross the Rio Grande and head to his home village. So one Texas Ranger was able to trail him and follow him into his village. And he kind of observed Rodriguez um, in the town square. And he was kind of milling amongst the people. He's hanging around the, the town well that was in the middle of the town square. And then he watched Rodriguez going to a local cantina. So the Texas Ranger was able to make its way in, and he was able to kind of get the drop on Rodriguez, and he pulls out his pistol, and he puts it up to his head and says, Rodriguez, I know who you are. I am here to bring you back to justice. 
we want all the money that you have stolen from Texas banks. We, we want that returned. And unless you do so, I'm going to pull the, pull the trigger. But there was a problem. Rodriguez didn't speak English, and this ranger didn't speak Spanish. So they were at this verbal impasse, a communication breakdown. Well, about that time, an enterprising local uh, stood up and said, Excuse me, sir, I speak English, and would you like me to interpret and act as a translator? And the Texas ranger, he nods and says, Yes, please do communicate what I just said. And, and he pr- proceeds to interpret and translate and Nervously, Rodriguez replies and he says, you know, tell this big, big Texas ranger that I have not spent a dime of this money. If he would just go to the town well and look on the north side, there is a loose, loose stone. And if he would pull that stone away, there he would find all the money that I have stolen. At which point the translator paused and told the ranger that Rodriguez is a brave man and he says he is ready to die. You know, what we don't know can hurt us. You know, if you are sensing sin in your life, if you're sensing that that guilt, if you are sensing a little unbelief in an area of your life, that quite often is the Holy Spirit nudging you and prompting you and working in your life, leading you to repentance in that area. That's quite often how the Holy Spirit works. Well, Holy Spirit works in another way according to Jesus in this passage and brings us a correct perception about righteousness. In verse 10, he says that he convicts about righteousness because I, Jesus, am going to the Father. So it's it's interesting that the Holy Spirit there convicts the world about righteousness. Because when I first would read that and try to understand it, you would think that the Spirit would convict the world about unrighteousness. But it's referring to Jesus' righteousness, not, not ours. The righteousness of Jesus, the Christ, as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God that God required to restore that relationship with him. You know, through the crucifixion of Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Christ's perfection is proclaimed. And all the things that Christ told the world about who he was and what he would do came true. And, and when the disciples witnessed his resurrection, when they witnessed him after the resurrection, they realized that, yes, here is the righteous Messiah. And people began to see Jesus truly for who he is as Messiah and Savior. So Jesus' righteousness, he shows his righteousness so that we can be drawn to him. But so often our own view of righteousness is kind of relative, isn't it? We kind of look at righteousness on a, a, we grade it on a curve, you know, and and we think about, say, the, the serial killer, the murderer in prison, and we look at somebody like that and we think, yeah, maybe two to three percent righteous, mostly bad. Or you think about your boss at work and you realize, yeah, they're they're not too bad, maybe 40 percent good. And you think about your your cousin Vinny, you know, good at heart, tries, but still not quite there, maybe 70% righteous. 
Now, your saintly grandmother, she's probably up there in the high 90s, you know, just that saintly figure. And our belief goes that, oh, the higher percentage, the more righteous that we are. So sooner or later, we think that in our minds, there's got to be that point where, yes, we are good with God. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, it reminds us of something different. That righteousness comes from God, not from ourselves. And it's through faith. It's on the basis of faith. Not how we live our life, not how good we think we are, not, not the score we give ourselves in relation to others, but it's from God, it's that gift of God, and it's through our faith in Him and Him alone. And Jesus' life, His death, His burial, His resurrection just proves that the only righteousness that we can have is through that faith in Him. Well, Jesus goes on to say that, there, it, that we need a correct perception about judgment as well. He says because we need to have that correct perception about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Basically, he's saying Satan has been tried, judged, and he's been found guilty. Guilty of the sin of, against rebellion against God. And drawing people into that rebellion, he says, his lies are exposed, his deceit is brought to life. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit shows the world by prodding the consciousness of people around the world that there is a judgment to come. And the Holy Spirit convicts in that way. Because apart from Christ, we stand condemned. See, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and moves in our lives, this is what it does. He convicts of sin. He reveals what true righteousness looks like and brings, us, brings our lives in light of God's judgment. But you got to realize it's for the purpose of drawing us closer to our Heavenly Father, to restore that relationship with Him. Again, all of this should lead us to repentance to turn away from sin and turn towards God. Away from the world systems of belief that we talked about last week and what that looked like and into a belief system, into a belief in, in Jesus as our Savior and to the place of, you know, interpreting our world, looking at our world through the lens of God's eyes. Well, the Holy Spirit convicts and moves, first of all, but also it it does a second thing. The Holy Spirit guides and glorifies. Let's continue reading through John 16 and pick up in verse 12. Jesus says, I have much to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. You see, the Holy Spirit guides us to Jesus, who, who is the truth. If you remember back a few weeks ago when we were in John chapter 14, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus talking here. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus as God's Son. And it points us to the words that he has spoken, which we have in Scripture. See, Jesus is, is the culmination of God's revelation. 
God's self-disclosure is found in, in the person, in the life, in the ministry of his son, Jesus. That's God's final expression. God, God's word in the flesh is Jesus, his son. If you were to look back at the very beginning of John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, page 1 of John's, uh, John's account of Jesus, he begins it by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then a few verses later, he tells us how this Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, referring to Jesus himself. So all the preceding revelation of Scripture, it points us to Jesus. You know, I love that the Bible is this unified story that points us to Jesus from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. It leads us to the Messiah, to Christ the Savior, and it points us and invites us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father, which is why Jesus came in the first place. That's God's desire, is not to heap up shame and guilt on us, but to bring us back into a relationship and to restore that which we once had. So the Holy Spirit guides us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, and that's the truth of Scripture. Now, as, as we read this passage, the context of it is not about the Holy Spirit giving us, like, insider information. It's not really about, you know, what, what to choose from the menu at Runza. It's not whether to have an iced or blended latte. That's not the context of this passage. It's about understanding God as he revealed himself in Jesus and his word. It's about our obedience to that revelation called Scripture. You see, the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and, and when he does, he opens our eyes and kind of enlarges our understanding and our ability to live out God's word. It, it opens our eyes to Scripture in our life. I don't know about you, but there's some times where I, I've been reading through the Bible or reading different passages of Scripture, and, and I've come to a passage that I've read many times before. But that day, that place where I'm at in my life at that point, I read it, and it's like, aha, it's like the Holy Spirit just hits me upside the forehead with a two-by-four. And sometimes I need that more than once. But that's, that's sometimes how the Holy Spirit works in my life. Where, where he just illuminates scripture and, and, and it just comes alive and sometimes it just jumps out at the page. And that truth just guides us closer to Jesus. And that truth just, you know, allows us to be living our life as a disciple of him with a firm foundation. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus. Looking back at verse 14, it says, he, the, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that the Father, all that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said to the Spirit, I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. See, Jesus says this advocate, this helper, this comforter, the Holy Spirit, he's going to glorify me. And just as, as the Son, through his ministry, brought glory to the Father, now the Holy Spirit, the advocate through his ministry, is going to glorify Jesus the Son. And that's the central aim of the Holy Spirit, because it all points to Jesus. 
You know, up in, up in the very northern part of my home state of Minnesota, along the border of Canada, there's this wilderness area called the Boundary Waters. And it is just lake after lake after lake, and rivers and lakes and swamps, and it's a beautiful place to be and to go. And if you ever have the opportunity, I'd encourage you to go there. But the first time I ever got to experience it was when I was in high school. And the youth group I was a part of, we, uh, we took a trip up there, you know, about four or five days. And, and I, I remember it specifically. We were going, we were a few days into it, and our trip leader handed me the map and compass one day and said, this is where we are, now take us to where we need to go. So I took up the challenge and I immediately proceeded to get us off track a little bit. You know, some people might say lost, but I just say off track temporarily. We were able to get back where we needed to go. And, but as we're going, as I'm trying to lead this group, the, the wind picked up. Rain came and we had to get off the lake because there's white caps coming and we're paddling canoes so we sought shelter on the shore. And as we huddled under the tree trying to, trying to stay out of the storm, I had to give the map back to the leader and reluctantly confess that I, had, I was inadequate as a navigator. Didn't know how to get where we needed to go. I needed help. I, I needed the trip leader to step back in and guide us where we needed to go. And we needed some correct guidance, and I knew it wasn't coming from me that day. The, the map wasn't the problem. The compass wasn't the problem. That was correct. I just didn't know how to read it. Didn't know how to use a compass at that point in my life. You know, more importantly, as I've gotten older, I've learned to follow a more important guide a different kind of map called Scripture, a different kind of compass that we can maybe call the Holy Spirit working in our life. And as it points me in the direction that, that I need to go, I, I can look at the map that we call the Bible, and I can find the direction that God wants me to go in my life. And Jesus wants the same for you. He wants to lead you. He wants, wants to guide you. He wants to lead you through His Word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit working in your life, through the counsel of godly men and women? As the praise team comes back up this morning, you know, the Holy Spirit is given to us to lead us back to our, our Father, to lead us back to Jesus, His Son, to lead us back to the place in our life where we have a living, active relationship with Him. He's given us this map, He's given us this compass, and he wants us to use it to restore that relationship with him. So today, let that Holy Spirit, let his nudging in your life lead you to where God wants you to be, into that relationship with him. Will you pray with me today? Father, I want to thank you that you are alive and well and active in our lives, and you are so and do so through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, today, as you work in us, may, may we just listen with open ears. May we respond with open hearts so that you can guide us into the relationship that you want us to be, be in. So, Father, do that work in us today. Move us towards you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand together as we